Vice Week, a podcast from MedTech Insight. I'm executive editor Sean Schmidt, and I'm joined today by senior writer Brian Bassetta and fellow executive editor Ashley Yeo. Ashley, we'll talk to you in a bit about some important regulatory changes that are underway in the UK. But first, let's hear from Brian about some U.S. Medicare reimbursement topics that listeners should keep an eye on. Namely, a few weeks ago, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, released its new fee schedules for physicians and facilities, which are due to be finalized in November and go into effect on the first of the year. One of the more interesting developments on the device front has been the reimbursement cuts that CMS is proposing for the eye stent from Glaucos. Those cuts were more drastic than analysts were predicting. And if the fee schedules are finalized, the analysts say the new fees could have a significant impact on the company's bottom line, and it could give an edge to the company's competition. So, Brian, unpack all of this for us. Let's start with the eye stent. Remind us what that medical device is for. Sure. When glaucoma patients have surgery to repair cataracts, part of the procedure is often the placement of a stent, a tiny device implanted in the eye's drainage channel. And that's meant to restore the natural flow of fluid and reduce pressure in the eye. The glaucose eye stent is one of the most popular stents used during these surgeries. The other, its chief competitor, is the Hydrus from Avantis. And both the eye stent and Hydrus are covered under Medicare? Yes, at the same rate. They're both currently billed under a Category 3 code, which is a temporary code for what's considered emerging technologies. Now, these temporary codes are usually in place for around five years or so until the technology becomes established enough to receive a permanent code, which is the case with both the iStent and Hydrus. Both have been around longer than five years. So what's going to happen next at the end of the year, these temporary codes will expire and Medicare will likely establish permanent codes for them. Okay, so how do the fee schedules released this month play into this? Well, with the physician fee schedule, the first punch, if you will, for Glaucos, Medicare combines the codes for cataract surgery and stent placement into one code. Right now, there are two separate codes. There's one code for the eye surgery and then one for the placement of the stent itself. Now, the problem with this for Glaucos is that if this is finalized, that is rolling the codes for the surgery and stent placement into one code, then the physician fee, the reimbursement for the surgeons for the Glaucos eye stent procedure, that is the placement of the Glaucos stent during cataract surgery, would drop from around $910, where it is now, to around $565, which is about a 38% reduction. And that's lower than what was expected? Yes, by a lot. Most analysts were expecting around 10%. Oh, so that's pretty significant. Also, keep in mind, Noridian that's the Medicare Administrative Contractor, or MAC in this case, had proposed that the rate for the Hydrus, again, the eye stent's main competitor, be billed under another code that was for a different eye stent, the Zen 45 from AbbVie, which pays $961. Why does that matter? Well, it's unusual because the Zen 45 stent is a standalone device. In other words, the FDA approved it for implementation absent cataract surgery whereas the FDA approved the eye stent and the hydrus for placement during cataract surgery. Now, normally, CMS basically sets codes at similar rates for similar procedures. And clearly, stent placement without surgery is a different procedure than stent placement with surgery. Exactly. So it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to set the reimbursement for the Zen 45 and hydrus at the same rate since they're different. 
So it seems more logical for the iStent and Hydras to have the same rate because those procedures are similar. Yes. So what happens if the fee schedule is finalized as is? Well, if the Hydras procedure is billed at a higher rate than the iStent, and then the surgery code and stent placement code are rolled into one, then the procedure for the Hydras will end up paying at a much higher rate than the procedure for the iStent. A possible edge for the Hydras. Yes, but it doesn't end there. There's potentially more bad news for Glacos. Oh, there's more? There is. Just days after the physician fee schedule, CMS released its schedule for facilities. And here, the agency cut the facility fee for the Glacos eye stent in ambulatory surgical centers 25%. And this is significant because 80% of Glacos eye stent procedures are done in these types of centers. So it seems like a real double whammy for the company. It seems to be because with these changes, Glacos is not only at a disadvantage with its direct competition, the Hydras, because of the physician fee. It's also now at a disadvantage because other procedures for treating glaucoma that do not require sense, such as canaloplasty and um, goniotomy, will pay more than the glaucos eye stent procedure, which provides even more incentive, potentially, for providers to choose these other options. So what's the bottom line here? Well, according to Wells Fargo, glaucos could end up losing potentially as much as half of its U.S. sales for its glaucoma treatments. In fact, Glacos has already been hurt because stock in the company fell after the release of the facility fee schedule, so much so that Wells Fargo downgraded its stock. So this will certainly be something to follow as we proceed to CMS issuing its final rule in November. So has CMS offered any insight on why or how it came up with these proposals? All I've gotten back from CMS is a statement that says the agency will consider stakeholder comments during the comment period as it works to finalize the proposed rules. So not much, no. And what about Glaucos? Has the company said anything? They passed on commenting after the physician fee was released. But after the facility fee came out, Glaucos CEO Thomas Burns released a statement. He's obviously not happy with the proposals, but he's also somewhat optimistic that the fees, as currently proposed, could change before November and said the company plans to remain engaged in the comment period, which ends on September 13th for the physician fee, and then September 17th for the facilities fee. Okay, certainly worth paying attention to. So when it comes to Medicare reimbursement news, what else has stood out recently? Well, I think the other story that stands out is a move from the Biden administration that aims to narrow what it refers to as the gap in healthcare equity. And this is by addressing chronic kidney disease, specifically end-stage renal disease, which is when the disease has progressed to the point where the patient needs either a transplant or dialysis to live. And how does this address the gap in care? By all accounts, this type of kidney disease affects minority groups and those on the lower socioeconomic rung in much greater numbers. So what Medicare is proposing is a change in how it scores facilities that treat this disease. Right now, the scoring model rewards providers and facilities that can show positive outcomes in treating Medicare beneficiaries. What's being proposed now is a tweak of that model to include patients considered dual eligible. Dual eligible, what's that? Patients eligible for Medicaid, as well as Medicare patients receiving what's called low-income subsidy assistance, which is essentially extra help to cover prescriptions. So the tweak is that facilities able to show the positive outcomes for these dual eligible patients as well will then score higher on the model, which means more reimbursement for them. So that will be another interesting story to watch. 
Absolutely. Thanks for that report, Brian. Now let's pivot across the Atlantic to the UK, where there's been some interesting times in the medtech sector. Obviously, a lot has happened since Brexit at the end of the year. And Ashley, you've been reporting on all this for Medtech Insight. Give us an update on the regulatory changes underway in the UK at present and why this might also be of interest to industries and administrations outside the country. Thanks, Sean. The UK is accepting CE mark devices and diagnostics until the 30th of June 2023. This is called the standstill period. And on the very next day, only products that carry the new UKCA mark will have access to the market in Great Britain. It's a big change. But why we're now peaking up to another crescendo of interest is that the start of the much heralded consultation on the UKCA mark is now overdue. And time is, as European experience of transitions has already taught us, already very tight. The consultation had been slated for this summer. Early June and July was the original kickoff date, but that's missed, and there's still no sign of the start date. That was confirmed by the industry yesterday to us. And today, still no word on the MHRA's daily news bulletins. So it now looks like happening in August. And once it starts, the MHRA will give a 10- or 12-week consultation period. But why should this be regarded with interest elsewhere? Well, that's because the UK is looking, is not alone in this, to use its regulation to increase its ability to compete globally. And it's open about using best practice from other international jurisdictions to develop smart, swift, light touch regulations where necessary and possible. This general theme is something that is making global medtechs pay attention. The CEOs of our industry's biggest IVD company, Roche, and the biggest medtech company, Medtronic, recently been vocal about the inconsistency of medtech regulations. They say divergent systems with different standards do not help industry industry by, in fact, diverging from each other. The UK is also talking about future-proofing its regulations to cope with digital technology and perhaps to do that better or quicker than the EU. So it's carving out its non-EU place in the world. The UK regulators, of course, did much to ensure the EU regulations and directors were as pragmatic and industry-friendly as they could be within the parameters set. The UK is not about to lose those abilities, but how much more mobile will it be able to be as the UK won instead of one of the EU28. It's already started to look at MDSAP and to become an observer at the IMDRF, and has said that the FDA's methods could well be factored in. So the point here, Sean, is that when regulatory systems are started up outside the 140 or so global markets that do have some form of device regulation, it's usually from a low base with a slow start and lacking in insight and expertise. But none of that applies to the UK. Now alone, but prepared to have a light touch on regulation where warranted as promised by MHRA chairman in a recent interview with us at MedTech Insight. And so, Sean, it's just 2 or 3% of the global market, but other markets we'll be watching closely to see if it succeeds or fails. These changes are happening at the same time as UK players are adjusting to the new twin EU regulations. How's that impacting them? The UK industry wants to see a UK CA marking regulation that has many routes in the MDR and IVDR. The IVDR will be enforced in the EU unless some sort of wisdom or contingency decision is made on the 26th of May 2022. It's less than 10 months away. The Commission published the IVDR in 2017 and it gave a five-year transition and then a three-year transition, latterly four, to the MDR. And there are 21 notified bodies under the MDR and only five as yet under the IVDR and perhaps a sixth soon. It's a system that's been rushed and it has many critics in industry. The Medtronic president of the EMEA region, no less, a person whose views should surely be counted on this issue, had strong words to say about the level of pragmatism of the MDR. His comments are worth a read by MTI readers who missed the interview with Rob Tenhoot, posted on the 15th of July. 
But nevertheless, UK industry still must have a convergence with the CE marking, or at least not a divergence for its own sake. So the major question now is, is there enough time to comply with the demands and needs of the UK CA marking and of the EU IVDR at the same time, while industry is still getting used to the MDR, now just two months into its implementation? The precedents are not good, and with all that preparation time for the MDR, the deadline passed and the system is still not incomplete. The MDR provided insufficient compliance time. The UK CA marking time looks to be similarly hard for manufacturers to comply with if the hard stop is not made more flexible, Sean. Okay, moving on. What can you tell us about the role of the new MedTech Directorate at the Department of Health and Social Care? So this is another new oversight body. We heard about this new MedTech Directorate in an open letter from the DHSC about a month ago, and a few words about it at the ABHI meeting when this, beforehand when the structure was in its early design stages. Since then, I've made several inquiries to the DHSC for our readers and just today received feedback from them. The MTD, as I'll now call it, will have a devices regulation team and says it will work closely with the MHRA acting as a sponsor and coordinator for any regulatory policy within DHSC. But the MHRA remains independent. It says it will work with NICE on innovation, evaluation and quality. The MTD will have some role around procurement relating to resilience, but procurement will be primarily done by NHS England via the NHS supply chain and the future procurement target operating model and it will take the lead on primary care tariffs. So as to MTD's place in the ecosystem, well, that will be very similar to where the DHSC medicines team sits in the medicines ecosystem, i.e. offering a coordinating, facilitating role looking at national issues. So MedTech has been elevated in status and will be on an equal footing with the existing medicines directorate. An interim director of MTD is in place pending a permanent director and a search is on for that post and is keenly awaited. And more changes are ahead, right? The NHS England chief executive will step down at the end of this week. I understand he's had a long record of success. So what does that mean for the UK medtech industry? Yes, good point, Sean. Um, The board of NHS England has been weighing up who should succeed NHS chief executive Simon Stevens. This has an end of era feel about it. Stevens was in this high level role in the rarefied atmosphere of the health department in the first stages of the digital revolution and during Brexit and during COVID. He was there since 2014 and he departs on Saturday, 31st of July. Whether his successor can match his record with healthcare standing on the cusp of huge change will be keenly monitored. Names in the hat to succeed him include NHS Deputy Chief Executive Amanda Pritchard, who many people see as the favourite for the role, uh, and KPMG's Mark Britnell, who moved to the private sector from, from the health department some 10 to 15 years ago. Latterly, it's thought that Mark Britnell is perhaps becoming the favourite. There are a couple other names that people are talking about. The Amazon UK Chief Executive and Leeds City Council Chief Executive. But the new Chief Executive will have less power and the government will have more. The freedom of that post will be curtailed. But why is that? Stevens led the line on big systems modernisation themes. His first major undertaking was to issue the NHS five-year forward view, an initiative he took charge of and in fact authored in the report stages. And when the five-year forward view expired in 2019, he commissioned the NHS long-term plan, which is a blueprint for how the NHS in England can integrate technology-driven healthcare to satisfy patient-centric and safety ambitions. The new person will not have that type of power. These were notions that the medtech industry could buy into, plan around and hold the government to account on. And Stevens was his own man too. He seemed 
NHS and not government fixated. And in that, Sean, he was a positive force and a stabilising counterweight. And you get the sense that almost everything is changing in the UK, including medtech market access and care delivery planning, themes that we should perhaps pick up in another session. Thanks, Ashley. Interesting stuff. Thanks for that report. Okay, then, that wraps up this week's Device Week podcast. Head on over to medtechinsight.com to find everything Ashley has been reporting on recently from the UK, as well as Brian's story on U.S. Medicare reimbursement. Always interesting as well. Also, while you're at medtechinsight.com, check out all the latest medical device policy and regulation news and analysis. And always remember, you can find us on Twitter at medtech underscore insight. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>